0: Thank you so much, Dan, for inviting us uh, to share with you guys. Good morning, church. Good morning. It is an absolute pleasure to be here uh, to, to invite you into what is going on in Smith Falls. Um, so, yeah, I'm Dan Noel. I've been married to my wife for 19 years now. We have two amazing boys, Scott and Ian, 17 and 14, respectively. And they are back at our home church, which is uh, Calvary Bible Church in Smith Falls. Um, My son, we were like, well, are you guys not going to come with us today? And and my son is doing sound today. So they decided to go there. They served there. Um, I am a carpenter by trade. Um, I really took that thing serious, you know, like what would Jesus do? And I was like, well, I'm just going to become a carpenter then because that's what he would have done. Any carpenters? No carpenters? Well, sorry, guys. It's a great trade. In addition to being a carpenter, I've been a volunteer firefighter for the last 20 years with Elizabeth Town Kitley, uh, which is south of Smith Falls, all the way down to Brockville. And um, the last few weeks we've had a large number of calls and the calls that we've had are not a typical calls. They've been out of the ordinary and quite strange. On one of the calls that we had was a single vehicle accident. And when we rolled up on the scene, there was one police officer there and he came running, rushing back to our trucks and he said, don't, don't come any closer. We were like, okay. So we stayed there and more police came on scene and then one of the police officers came over to us and said, well, this is what's going on. The man is in distress. Um, he's in mental psychosis right now. And he actually wanted to run his car off onto the road into a telephone pole to end his life. And when that didn't work, he took out a knife and he slit his throat trying to hit his carotid. The man didn't die. He was bleeding out quite bad. The cops were able to talk him down so that we could get to the car and extricate him from the car. and. Uh, You would think like, what kind of guy is this? Like we're all thinking like, what's happening? And when we get to the car, this is a normal man. White collared worker, we found out later, just a business guy, nice car. He's a a guy that you see on the street and you think nothing of it, just a normal everyday guy. But the things that were going on in this guy's life, he found it hopeless. To the point where he would do such a thing. At that call, when we loaded him into the ambulance and he was off, and by the way, he did survive. The police officer, I was able to strike up a conversation with the police officer because we've been seeing each other on all these different calls that are happening in a small area, in a small town like North Gore. And the police officer said, this is all we do every day, day in and day out. We're dealing with mental illness and it's a crisis. And I share that story with you not to horrify you, but I share that story as, a, as an honest glimpse as to what is really going on in our culture. Sometimes we don't get that picture of what things are really, what things are going on, and uh, it's not pretty. But this is a real life snapshot of our cultural moment. Now you might think that this is an isolated event, But as you look at statistics, as you hear people talking, this is not isolated. This is happening in Canada, in our backyards, in our communities. Loneliness is a crisis, says the Barna Group that recently completed a study of Canadians from the ages of 18 to 35. And it found that three out of four people said that they feel lonely at least daily. And 38% of that group say their loneliness is unbearable. We live in the most connected generation. We have the ability to talk to people all over the world. But yet, people are so lonely. What is going on? Depression and anxiety are skyrocketing. It's plaguing our families and our friends and our neighbors. And really, when you take a look around, is it any wonder why? There's all these signs of bad news. The world's ending through environmental crisis, financial crisis, food shortages, and it seems like every social and political issue is, has been weaponized to divide us. People, we live in, in a time of such hopelessness. So good morning. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Welcome to church today. But we have to ask as Christians, is there good news in tough times? Is there still good news? Do we believe that the God that we came to know is still able to provide not only everlasting life, but life, but a life of hope, a life of joy, a life of peace? Do we? Do we believe that? I do, and I hope you do too. The coolest part to all of this is that Jesus actually invites us along to partner with them to share this hope. And it's regardless of how dark our culture is or how, how bright it is, for that matter, but he commands his followers everywhere and anywhere in every situation to go and make disciples. But in today's world, it seems really hard to make disciples, doesn't it? It seems really hard to go and share the the hope of Jesus Christ because people that we know are so apprehensive of Christianity and they, they quite frankly, are just done with Christianity. We live in this post-Christian world where they will flock to every other teaching and every other ideology, but Christianity, just keep it over there. Keep it to yourself. I don't want to hear about it. But I believe that we have to try something different. And it's not new, this different is not new, we find it all throughout Scripture, and it's this, engage, listen, and invite. I invite you guys to turn with me to, if you have your Bibles, you can turn open to Acts 17. And in this passage that we're going to read, we see the Apostle Paul, he's in Athens, and he's waiting for his friends in Athens because he's been kicked out of other towns. And actually, his life has been threatened. So his friends take him out of those towns and bring him to Athens. And he's there waiting for his friends to join him. And we read in, in Acts 17, verse 16 and 17, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. See, Paul was greatly distressed because as he's walking around, he's seeing people giving their life to this false god and people worshiping this false god. And he's greatly distressed because he knows what happens in the end. Isn't this sometimes how we feel as we see our family members and our friends and the general society going to every other type of teaching and they're hesitant towards Christianity? But sometimes, how, like, how do we react when we're confronted with some of this hostility? Do we fight? Do we argue? Do we just stay quiet and not say anything? Notice what Paul does. Paul goes to where the people are at. He engages the community. He engages with the people. And he does life with them. Now as Westerners, we read this passage and we, 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 we paint this picture before us like Paul went to the street and just shou- started shouting Jesus. But I'm not sure, as I reread this and know Paul a little bit more, I'm not sure that this is exactly what he did. We know that Paul was a tent builder. We know that Paul used his skills to supplement his income and to provide for his needs. So what I, what I believe what happened here is that Paul went to the marketplace to get supplies to start building tents. And he set up shop in the marketplace to build tents. And as, as clients started coming forward to have tents built, he engaged in conversation with them and he reasoned with them and he did life with them. This is what I believe that Paul was doing in the Marketplace. This passage speaks so much to Susie and I because six years ago, Susie had a vision. It was a vision of us being in the Marketplace and it was a cafe where it was full of people sipping really good coffee from no-go coffee. but where deep relationships and communication and um, community was happening. And as she told me about this story, I knew that it had to be from God because Susie hates coffee. (laughs) She can't even stand the smell of coffee. Isn't that strange? Like how God works. Matter of fact, like it's such an unlikely story. I hate speaking in front of people. Like right now you can't see it because I'm walking around, but I am shaking. I do not like public speaking, but here I am. When God calls, you move, right? It's been a long season of preparation since six years ago, since our initial conversation about this. But a year ago, God made a way for this to all become reality. And in March of this year, God showed us the building that we are currently renovating on 15 Russell Street East in Smith Falls, called the Lighthouse Cafe. And the Lighthouse Cafe is a place where we, the body of believers, can engage our community. As Paul is in the marketplace day by day, reasoning with those who happen to be there, the Lighthouse will be open, ready to engage with anyone who happens to come in. And so the beauty of a cafe is that it appeals? It has something that appeals to everybody. You don't like coffee? That's great, we have hot chocolate. You know, you don't like hot chocolate? That's okay, we have tea. And if you, if you really wanna try something really awesome, we're gonna have waffle sandwiches that are gonna be amazing, right? There's something for everyone. Do we have any people watchers here? I love to people watch, right? And so I'll go into Tim Hortons and I'll just watch people coming in. And it's quite neat because Tim Hortons doesn't have like a niche market, They're, they don't have a demographic. Who do they cater to? Canadians, right? Anyone who's Canadian will go in there. Young, old, rich, poor, female, male, every ethnicity will go in there. So a cafe is kind of neat because whoever is walking by will be able to grab their attention and bring them in and engage with them. When we continue reading Paul's story, he shows us the value of listening. From the marketplace, Paul is invited into a deeper part of their culture, called the Aeropagus, where men spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. It's almost like Canada, right? Like it would instead of instead of Athens for Canadians it would be like where they did nothing but talk about politics and the weather and complained about them, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> Canada, right there. Um, but he's invited to, to, to teach about this new idea that, they're bringing, that he's bringing to their ears. And so we pick up the story in verse 22 and 23. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walk around and look carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. It's really neat how God shows up even in secular culture. He makes himself known. But Paul stands up in front of the crowd and connects with them right out of the gate. And he could do this because he understood them. And he understood them because he listened to them. Like Paul, we must listen to the people. But listening is a lot of work. You guys find that? I find it so hard to listen to people sometimes. Have you ever needed someone to listen to you, but instead they did all the talking? How frustrating is that? Do you ever go back to that person? Probably not. I came across a quote recently that speaks to our cultural moment The biggest communication problem is we do not listen to understand, we listen to reply. And I have to admit that I have failed so many times on this. I have treated people like problems to be solved rather than wonders to behold. When we listen to people and really take the time to know them, then we are trusted into the deeper parts of their story and their life. Where the gospel can can be shared in a meaningful way with relationship. Preston Sprinkle, one of my favorite authors, he says this, Truth cannot be heard until grace is felt. Truth cannot be heard until grace is felt. It does, however, take time to listen to people. I've been reminded of this through our renovations at the cafe because we leave the doors open just in case people want to come in and see what's going on and we love it but sometimes people come in and they want to talk and I'm I'm not even listening to them because I'm looking at all the things that I have to get done and it's like oh I gotta sand the drywall over here and I gotta paint over here and I'm just and God just shoulder taps me Dan what is this place all about You need to listen to them. Those things will get done. But we're so incredibly, we're in a culture that's so about hurry and multitasking and all of these things. And God's like, no, this is a place of peace and rest, a place free from the hurry of life. Be a non anxious person. I hope that when we open, I'll be reminded of that constantly just to listen to people. When Paul is invited to speak, he understands his audience, where they are in life. He shares the gospel story that is totally different from before. Because he knows that he's not speaking to Jews. He doesn't change the gospel message, but he changes the way he delivers it. And I encourage you guys tonight to read through this gospel message. It is absolutely beautiful. But for now, I want to highlight one point that Paul made in it. And it's in verse 27. I'm going to be reading 26 just for context. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. Verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though... He is not far from any one of us. I am convinced one of the biggest lies people believe is that God is angry and distant from them. People believe that they are too far gone for God to reach. And I understand this well. I've lived the majority of my life apart from Jesus Christ, thinking that I was too bad of a person for for Jesus to really even care about me. So, in response, I distanced myself from him. And every thought of God I put over there and I went over here. People will avoid, hide, and turn to their own solutions when they think God doesn't care about them. Just think about Adam and Eve. When they were ashamed of what they did, what did they do? They hid, they ran. And then they tried to cover it up with their own solutions. But Paul invites these people to the table to know the true living God. Like a peacemaker, he knows God is already at the table waiting for them. God is not far from any one of us. He includes himself in on that. When I was a young kid, my home life was an absolute mess. My parents used to fight very aggressively, very often, I'd have to stand in between them to stop them fighting. In grade three, I met a boy by the name of Ian. He became my best friend almost instantly, and he lived right around the corner from me. And so I would go to his house constantly, trying to escape my house. His house, did, did his parents fight? Yep. But it was respectful. They actually loved each other, and you could see that in there. Did his siblings Always get along? Nope. But they loved each other. It was it was like a breath of fresh air to me. It was a healthy household. But at some point, I realized that I was never going to have this healthy household. So I distanced myself from that, and I just stayed where I was at. I started getting into some pretty big trouble at school, and Ian went to his parents and told them that So on a Friday night, Ian invited me over and said, come over and sleep over. So I did. And it was his dad's tradition on Saturday mornings to cook a big breakfast for everyone before they got up. And before everyone got up, I went downstairs and I went to the table. But something was different to the table. It was bigger. And there was one added seat. And I just looked at it. And Jim, his dad came over and put his arm around my shoulder and pulled out the chair and he says, that chair is for you. You have a spot at this table always. Jim invited me in from the outside. He gave me an opportunity to really experience what a healthy household was like. It's interesting because even today, many years later, they still send me a Christmas card, inviting me into their family. Beautiful. Inviting people into the table to taste the goodness of God has a long, rich history in the Christian faith. Relearning this practice is, a key, is key to reaching the lonely and lost world that we find ourselves in. And we call this practice hospitality. Henry Nouns defines hospitality as the creation of a free space where strangers can enter and become friends instead of enemies. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them the space where change can take place. The Lighthouse Cafe will act as such a place. We're not looking to change people. We're looking to set the table so that they can meet God, so that change might take place, to listen to them, to engage with them. I just want to turn the focus to what this looks like on a daily level at the Lighthouse Cafe, kind of like the nuts and bolts of the business. Um, and I know that I'm not going to answer everyone's questions. Susie and I are going to be waiting um, in the hallway after. If you got questions, we'd love to answer them. Uh, for now, I want to share four key principles of our ministry. And that's, number one, is hospitality. And it's not the hospitality that the world gives. That kind of looks like entertainment. But it's the hospitality that Scripture demonstrates, which is deep relationship, engaging with our community and listening to their stories and inviting them in to taste the goodness of God. And number two is compassion. We are a non-profit business, which means that when you come and buy good coffee, and really good treats, you are actually paying money. And that money goes so that this ministry can keep going. But there's also the compassion piece that not everyone has enough money to come in and be fed. And we will never turn anyone away that is hungry or thirsty. They will always, we will always have enough food at our cafe for that. Number three is blessing. So as a nonprofit, when money is generated, the profits that that are there will go back out into our community to further share the love and hope of Jesus Christ. We want to give uh, money so that kids can go to Christian camp. We want to give money to the food bank because so many people are using the food bank these days. Food access is a huge thing right now. We want to bless our community and say that the Christian community loves them. And number four is unity. Right from the start, God said that this has to be about the body of believers, not any one specific denomination, but it has to be about all of us coming together to do this. It's been quite neat. Uh, when, we've, when we found our building, uh, we had a prayer night, and we had 50 people come out. We, Susie and I were preparing for like 20 people. 50 people come out. Eight different denominations. We are just, we are blown away. It was absolutely beautiful. But back to the question at the start. Is there good news in tough times? I would say a resounding yes. And there's great opportunity to share the love and hope of Jesus Christ. Susie and I invite you to partner with us as we partner with God in this ministry. Uh, to welcome people in to taste the goodness of God. And you can do this in three ways with us. You can partner with us by volunteering. And I know that Smith Falls is about half an hour away, but if you're willing to drive to Smith Falls and volunteer at our cafe, we need hands and feet. We need people to serve coffee, to make coffee, to um, sweep floors, whatever, we have jobs for you guys. Um, And financially. We have set a goal of raising $205,000 to open up this cafe. And praise the Lord, we, are, we have surpassed $100,000 to do this. We still have a little bit more to go. So if, if God lays it on your heart to partner with us financially, we would love that. And we, we have actually been blessed to have um, Centennial Road Church which is in Brockville, which is a Wesleyan church, and they are our sending church. And actually, Susie's the missionary, not me. I'm the carpenter. She's the missionary. So we actually need to raise her income as well, just like a missionary goes around and, and asks the church to partner with them. Susie does the same. And last but not least is prayer. We covet your prayer. We are in a battle with with the spiritual realm to do this we've already been up against attack we already have had things happen where we just need prayer so i i beg you to pray for us as we're doing this whether you partner with us or not i would encourage you to join with god and ask him what can you do right here in north gore right in your own community it would be so neat if if the lighthouse was able to help out something here, right? But how can you engage, how can you listen, and how can you invite North Gore in to the goodness of God? Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How beautiful is that invitation to a hurting generation Invite people into the good news that God is not far from any one of us. Thank you.